0: Go ahead and grab seats. Well, uh, we will just jump right in tonight. And here's what we're talking about we're, we're going to talk about husbands and men. And last week we talked about women and wives. And uh, if you weren't here last week, encourage you to uh, listen to that online if you can, because I might say some things tonight. That are related to that that you might have questions about, but I, I won't be able to to get into all of it tonight because I can't re I, I would be happy to, but I can't repreach the sermon from last week and then also do tonight. So uh, check that out if you weren't here. Um, but here here's what I want us to to look at. What Peter says. Um, many of you in this room are husbands or engaged or want to be husbands at some point, or fathers, or grandfathers. I mean, all of us are either those men, well, unless you're a woman, you're either those men, know those men, or want to be those men. You want to be married, you want to be a father, you want to be a grandfather, you want to have um, a husband or a uh, grandfather to be alongside of you. I mean, all of those things, that, that kind of encompasses everybody, okay? Either you're a man Wanting to go down that track, or you're a woman that is associated with a man somewhere around that track. Okay, so either you're a man or a woman. We're off to a good start, right? I'm very intelligent. Um, it's okay. It's going to be great. Um, and here's uh, tonight. Peter. Peter talks to the men, and before we look at what Peter says, I want to just jump back really quick to what he said to, to wives, what he said to women. And we have, to, um, we have to see, this is implicit, okay? This is, he doesn't directly say this, but it's implicit in what he says to wives. And again, I'm not going to be able to explain all this, so if this makes your, you bristle about what I'm about to say, it's what Peter says. But the opening line, what he says, is that wives are to be subject to their husbands and talks about submission. This is what we spent all uh, last week talking about. But what's implied in that to men is that, therefore, men are called to lead. So we're looking at First Peter chapter three. If you're kind of like, what the, what's he talking about? If you weren't here last week. So when he says that wives are to submit, what's implied in that is that men are supposed to lead. And there's, I mean, if you go through other uh, teaching in the Bible in Ephesians, Colossians, Corinthians, etc., that, I mean, it directly spells that out, but here it's implied that a call for a wife to submit and to be subject to her husband is a call for a man to take responsibility. It's a call for a man to, to lead, and here's, here's what that means. Um, what that looks like is that it means leadership for a man looks like taking responsibility. That's what it means. To lead is that you are the one that bears primary responsibility for the the wealth the health the just the godliness of your home it's everything that you're the one that takes primary responsibility for that i'm not saying sole responsibility but primary responsibility that god puts it on your shoulders to be the one that's primarily responsible for your home that's what leadership means and many men don't want to have anything to do with that i mean they, they don't want they don't want that responsibility this is something that they maybe read in the Bible or hear uh, something like tonight, and, and they don't want to have anything to do with that. But it's not an optional thing. If you're a husband, the role as the leader in your home is not an optional thing. It's God doesn't say, hey, raise your. do you want this job or not? It's becoming a husband is becoming a leader in your home. I mean, that's what it means. But many men want to abdicate that role. And if you just look around, and I, I mean, I can't talk just about manhood in general, but if you look around, I mean, this is outside of Christian circles, just the research in the world and in the culture that's looking at the state of men in the country. I mean, it's there's all sorts of articles and books and things written on this, um, one in particular called The End of Men, non-Christian writer. I mean, all, again, all this is not necessarily from a Christian perspective, but that if you just look at the statistics, this is outside of marriage right now, but just men in general, The statistics are that men are not entering the workforce as much as women are. They're not graduating as much as women are. They're not earning degrees as much as women are. They're not in fields that are the the fields that are now going to be the new fields as much as women are. I mean, the state of men is not good in our country. Like, that's just broadly speaking, outside of even marriage and outside outside of a Christian perspective. If you're a single woman, you are amening over and over again in your mind right now. Okay, the state of men is not great in the country, just not. Because largely, men have just abdicated responsibility. They've heard calls and charges like this from Peter that we'll get into, and have just said, you know what, I don't want that. I just don't want it. And they think they're choosing the easy way out. Men don't want to be leaders often, because they don't want the responsibility that comes along with that, and think that's an easy path. But then look at their life and go, why, man, I I hate my job and I'm bored, or I'm just kind of apathetic, or I'm just kind of restless, or life doesn't seem to have a lot of meaning, or why can't any, I get any woman to respect me, or why do tons of women flock to me and yet I just churn through them over and over again? Or if you're married, why does my wife nag me all the time or why do we have conflict all the time or why am I drawn to other women and pornography and why I mean all these different things that men think they take the easy way out the easy path out but what ends up happening is when you abdicate leadership life doesn't go the way God intends it to go So it's a it's a big problem in our culture just at large and marriages in particular of men hearing a call to take leadership and then saying, I don't really want I don't really want to be a part of that. I'll take the easy way out. They want the results that leadership would bring, but they, they don't want to actually do the things that God calls them to do. And what then mean what that means is women women fill the gap. I mean, if you look at if you look at the church, it's awesome women. I mean women t- if you look at marriages awesome women you look at families awesome women and I know look I'm not saying all women are saints and all men are sinners that's not that's not the point but it's very true that women are more often the leaders in the churches in the communities in the cities in the families I mean that that's more often true than men being that And Peter tonight is going to speak to speak to the men he's got one verse for the men. He had six for the women. And I think Peter knows men and knows, hey, let's just give them one verse. The women, he talked about how their emotions, and he talked about clothing, and he talked about how God thinks you're beautiful. I mean, he said all these things, and, and the men, he just gives them one little verse with a couple things to do. and goes, all right, here we go, men. So let's read this verse, and, and then we'll look, at, we'll, look at, uh, we'll look at what this means. So here's what he says. Likewise, husbands, Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. One verse. So here's, here's what we'll see. What does it mean to lead? What does it look like for a man to lead? And, and um, again, this is mainly for the husbands, but it's for all men and for everybody to listen in, because it's important for us all to hear this. What does it mean for a man to lead? what does it look like? And Peter's going to show us two common temptations that we would face in this verse we'll be able to look at. Two things to do and two reasons to do it, okay? Two common temptations we face as men, two actions to do, two reasons to do it. We'll kind of spell all that out. But here's what I want to do first, okay? Men, I want I, I really I mean I want this every Sunday, but tonight I'd love your full attention. Um, I don't know if the Broncos game is done yet, but the Broncos seemed like they were losing anyway. So tonight, just if you can, give me your full attention. And um, I, I really do think that God's word to men has the power to change history change the course of marriages, to change the course of families, to change the course of of your own personal history and and what it will be. I mean, I really think that if we take seriously what God says to us, it has the power to change things in dramatic ways. And so I just want to ask you to to give me, to give Peter, to give God's word your full attention tonight. And so I'm going to actually pray again for us, okay? God, I ask that that right now you would open our minds and our hearts to receive your word. And God, I don't know every man in this room or every woman in this room. I don't know the pain that's been caused by men to women in this room. I don't know the pain that's been caused by other men to men in this room. I don't know all the things, but God, you do. You know each person's heart in here. You know their life situation and their background and their experience and their natural resistance that maybe even has already been built up. And God, I ask that you would use your word tonight to change lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, so first thing we're going to look at is what common temptation keeps men from doing what God calls them to. And here's the first one. Temptation number 1 is passivity. See, Peter says that that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way. And we'll talk about what that means, but the temptation that goes against that is passivity. And what that means is that and I think I think every man to some degree struggles with this. I think every man to some degree, I know I do. I think every man that I've ever met struggles to some degree with passivity, but some men are marked by it more than others, and the way that this creeps into a marriage or just life is that life is just kind of all about doing your own thing. It's just kind of coasting, so you're just kind of floating through life, and you do what you want to do. That's it, and if you get married, then you might do what your wife wants you to do, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but it's just kind of there's not an initiative that says, "What does God have for us? What does God have for me? What does God have for our family? What does it look like to to open the Bible to follow Jesus and to say hey let's let's go there. It's just kind of all right, if we go here, we go there, if I want to go here, we go there. I mean it's just it's just kind of a, a passive approach to life that many men have It's not the intentionality that Peter gets into with understanding a wife, but rather it's just a passivity that's all about self. And, it, and it, passivity, hear me on this, it doesn't mean you do nothing. You might be very active in your job and in your career. You might be very active in sports and hobbies and all sorts of things. Pass, it doesn't mean you're just sitting in a chair and doing nothing. It means that there's a passivity in relation to God's calling on your life. It means there's a passivity in relation to thinking about what does God call me to do as a man? What does God call me to do as a husband? What should my life look like? What should our life look like? What should our family look like? What should our home look like? That there's a passivity in that. I'm not just talking about doing nothing, but a passivity in leadership. And what that often looks like in marriage is that a husband just goes along with his wife's wishes, and hear me on this. I'm not saying in any way a husband, and this is what Peter says, is a husband should be understanding to his wife. And so we'll talk all about that. But what I'm talking about is a man that just is kind of, I don't know, what do you think? What do you want? I don't know. Whatever, whatever you think is best. That the wife becomes the conscience of the home. She becomes the decision maker in the home solely. And a, there should be mutual decisions. I'm not saying the man should be the decision maker. But she becomes the conscience She becomes the one that often drags the husband to church. She becomes the one that is opening her Bible and reading and listening to God and saying, hey, maybe we should do this, and hey, maybe we should do that. She becomes the one that starts to lead, and the husband just, okay, sure, if that's what you think. So that's what passivity looks like in marriage. It also looks like a passivity not just in relation to God, but in relation to the health of the marriage, leadership that a husband is supposed to take on, is taking initiative. And look, it's a leadership that is modeled after Jesus' leadership. So if you hear the word leadership and think that that means it's just this domineering approach, or if you're a wife or a woman and you hear that word and you think, I don't want to be told what to do, it's a leadership that's after Jesus' leadership, which is a leadership in service. It's a leadership in washing feet. It's a leadership in death. It's a leadership in life, of setting an example it's a leadership in love, right? That's the kind of leadership that, that we're talking about here. But what can happen is there's this passivity to God, and there's a passivity that's not saying, I look at my marriage, and I want to go, man, what, what, how can my marriage thrive? What's the climate of my marriage? Is it thriving? Is there... Is there emotional health and mental health and spiritual health and physical health? How can I make sure everything is flourishing under my responsibility? And so what that often looks like is the stuff that you see on TV. I mean, if you watch TV or commercials, I mean, it's just filled with men that are totally ridiculous and stupid. I mean, that's how it's often portrayed. It's hard to find a show or a movie that shows a really good, solid man. It's mainly this buffoon, he doesn't know how to do the dishes, or this buff- I mean, some commercial recently, I mean, the wives making fun of him, and I mean, the guy doesn't know how to, Just the guy's an imbecile, he just doesn't know how to do anything, right? That's often what is shown in the media, is guys that just don't know how to do anything, or that mistreat women and misuse women, and part of that is because there's a lot of truth to it, that when guys become passive, and they don't take on a responsibility, That's what it starts to erode to. And there's a passivity that happens in marriage where sometimes guys think, I'm not passive, what are you talking about? I go to work. I'd I'd fix things around the house. I pay the bills. I'm not passive at all. I'm providing for my family. I'm doing an awesome job. I'm not passive. But guys, you know this, if you're married and that comes into your mind, your wife doesn't just want a once a month paycheck, right? She wants your heart. She wants an emotional connection. And what happens sometimes is within a marriage, guys have this passive approach that looks very active. Again, because passivity, the overarching umbrella I'm talking about is a passivity to what God calls us to as men. Not just what the the world's image of a man is or any such thing. It's a passivity to what God calls us to. If there can be this mentality that is just, hey, I'm I'm doing it. I'm being a I'm I'm doing all these things. Look at all these good things I'm doing. But are you taking the lead in going after your wife's heart? Are you taking the lead in making sure she's thriving with Jesus? Are you taking the lead in those things? Or just in putting a paycheck. Man, it's something that guys, often with the passivity, even reject that they don't view themselves as passive. And what, what, what happens is guys like this that have a passive mindset, and again, I think to some degree we all struggle with this, but some more than others. What their main concern is, is to be liked. It's to be nice. It's to be comfortable. It's to have pleasure. Those are the main concerns. It's, I just kind of want the easy way. I want it to be easy in relationships. I want it to be easy in life. I just want kind of some easiness. That's what I want. I don't want to have to go, God, what are you speaking to me? How can I follow you? What does it look like to. I mean, you know, the Bible uses images often of the Christian life. As fight the good fight and run the race and keep the faith. But for men like this, that's not their mantra. Their mantra is find the easy way, do the easy thing, have people like me, have as much fun as possible, have comfort, have toys. Just a passive approach to what God calls to. So this is one of the most common temptations that men and husbands in particular face in life. This is one of the most common temptations. But what Peter calls us to The first action that Peter gives is, and I already alluded to it, but is to live with your wives in an understanding way. And what that literally means is live with your wife according to knowledge. That's the literal meaning of that. To live with your wife according to knowledge. This is really important. So think about, let's back up again. Here's what Peter says to wives, be subject to your husbands. And then later down, he says that that can be a scary situation, but don't, don't be afraid because of your relationship with God, etc. But if a man is taking it as his responsibility to say, I am going to live with my wife according to knowledge, I'm going to live with her in the most considerate, understanding way possible, you think that makes it easier for a wife to then say, Oh, I'll follow. Your leadership? Yeah. I mean, oh, you totally understand me, and you're totally trying to live in my world and, and get to know, oh, okay. Well, I mean, that builds trust. That's a lot easier to go, okay, I can, I can follow the leadership here. It's not as scary of a thing versus just some brute in the home that is saying, hey, follow my leadership. But Peter's call is for husbands to live with their wives according to knowledge, Which means this, it's a deep experiential knowledge of your wife to really, really, really know her, to know her in and out, and to then live according to that knowledge. It's not just to gather that knowledge and accumulate that knowledge, but it's that you learn, that you understand, and then your life is actually shaped differently because of that. I mean, if your, a husband's life from year to year should look very different because he is more and more and more and more understanding who his wife is. He's living according to knowledge with her. How do we do that? Because that's, I mean, to really take that seriously, to say, hey, to live with your wife according to knowledge, how do you do that? It starts with listening. It starts with listening. I mean, guys, often, I mean, it's, it's known that guys are not great listeners, right? But it starts with listening. The best definition of listening that I have ever heard and I think is very true is that listening is being affected by another person. It's not just hearing the content of what they say. It's not just hearing the words go in and out. It's actually being affected by another person. That your heart is touched and moved by another person. So for a husband to live with his wife according to knowledge and knowledge of this deep experiential kind says that husbands, we got to listen. We actually have to take the time and go, I got, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to be affected by you. I'm going to enter into your world and understand how your mind and your world works. So we need to listen. We need to, I mean, oftentimes, you know, the, the thing that men struggle with is they hear their wives and then they just want to fix it, right? I mean, that's kind of just kind of pop pop cultural knowledge. But that comes from not listening. It comes from not really under. It comes from not living with her according to knowledge. It comes from hearing things but missing her. Comes from hearing her even share problems and things and, and not really going, okay, am I affected by you right now in the middle of this? Do I understand your experience of your world that you're dealing with? So, guys, we got to listen. Second is ask. I mean, if you're going to live with your wife according to knowledge, you got to ask, you got to ask questions. What kind of knowledge are we talking about? Everything. If you're, if you're to be the leader in a home, it means everything. So do you know do you know what your wife dreams? Do you know what your wife prays? Do you know what she struggles with? Do you know what the common temptations that she wrestles with are, the common sins that she battles with? Do you know what she's been praying to God this week? Do you know what the relationships in her life look like right now? where they're struggling or where they're going well? Do you know what she feels blessed by, what she feels really loved by, what makes her feel really special? Do you know her, I mean, just basic stuff. Do you know her favorite color and favorite movie and favorite flower and favorite ice cream and favorite chocolate and favorite, I mean, do you you just, do you know from the most basic level of gifts and things to the, the deeper level of what is she battling with? What does she need prayer for? What's going on in her heart? I mean, that's what it means to live with our wives according to knowledge. It's, we got to listen and just hear and be affected by them, but also then, we've got to ask questions. We've I mean, got to ask questions, to know, to learn, to gather information. And then Peter says, live with your wives according to knowledge, which means that you've got to do something with that information. It's not just have a lot of information, it's live with your wife according to knowledge. So how, how do you incorporate that? I mean, if you're listening to your wife and you're asking your wife questions because your true desire is, I want to live with her according to knowledge, does your life begin to be shaped by that information? Do you have any sort of system for this? I was, um, as I was working on this this week, there's an app I can't remember what it's called, but it's an app that you record all these different things that i'm what's what's she praying about, what's her favorite color and I think it's called the Book of her. It was developed by some pastors, I think uh, I think it's $1.99. ninety nine so any husbands that want to get that um, and it, or maybe two ninety nine if you can splurge um, and it's i mean it's do you have some sort of system for doing that, some sort of way for saying okay, I'm, I'm, I want to live with my wife according to knowledge. So how can I actually do that? How can I gather knowledge and then how can I remind myself and make a plan and incorporate into my life to live with her according to that way? To write things down, to build it into your schedule, to make a plan. And look, I, right now, some of you men might be going, that sounds like a lot. An app, listening, huh, asking questions, all of that. But here's what I know about us men. You men are experts. I think this is just one of the ways that God has built men, that you are experts at whatever your thing is. If it's sports, you know all the stats, you know all the scores, you know all the players from 30 years ago. I mean, you, you, you know things. If it's, if it's stocks, you know it. If it's business, you know—I mean, you can name figures and stats. And if it's movies, you can quote. I mean, some guys, I can quote all of this movie. Great. I mean, men just kind of have this way to just have a bunch of facts in their mind. But for some reason, oftentimes, and when it comes to wives, it's like, oh man, that's impossible. That's too hard. It's. But I. Come on, like we know that's not really true. Men are experts at gathering data and having it if it's something that is something they really care about, if it's something that's really affected them. So don't be intimidated by a call to live with your wife in an understanding way. I think it's something that's already built into you. It's just which way are you going to funnel it? And what do you think your marriage would look like if you did this? If you're single, what do you think your marriage would look like? What do, you, what do you think if you even started to build your life in these habits now? What do you think, if you're married right now, what do you think your marriage would look like if you were just absolutely thriving at living with your wife according to knowledge? I mean, it'd be, be awesome, right? Like, you probably wouldn't go, oh, that would suck. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean, you would go, that would be awesome. And the wives would definitely think that would be awesome. But you would too, because ultimately it's, and Proverbs says, he who is wise is wise for himself. I think we can say that about so many things. That he who lives with his wife, according to knowledge, does it for himself in the sense that ultimately it's your marriage. So your marriage is going to thrive. So this is the first thing that Peter calls us men to do. What does that mean for you? I mean, I don't know maybe this is what you're already doing, but what does it mean for you? Maybe it means that you need to have a conversation with your wife and to say, "Hey, I haven't been doing this. Maybe that's what maybe that's step one. maybe maybe step one or maybe step two is what what are you actually going to do then? Are you just gonna don't don't just hear God's word to live with your wife according to knowledge, but actually, can you can you do something about it what would a, what would a step of obedience for you look like? next thing that men are tempted towards is aggression. Peter says that husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way showing honor to them as the weaker vessel now what does that mean the weaker vessel I think I mean I think it just means physically primarily i mean when people look at this when commentators look at this they they usually offer up kind of three different interpretations and maybe it means all three that it probably means physically generally speaking i know there's some 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 strong gals out there but generally speaking men are physically stronger than women i mean that's what testosterone is i mean it does, it, that's just how the body is built that's generally speaking i know there's some ladies out there that could Beat probably every man up in this room and they're, you know, weight training champs and all of that. But generally speaking, speaking, men are physically stronger than women. There's a weakerness physically. It could mean just in the position as far as a, a man is a leader. And so there's the, a weaker position in that sense of vulnerability. Or it could be speaking emotionally. There's generally an emo, a, a stronger sense of emotional sensitivity. Weaker is not bad. I mean, the the language it's using here, a vessel, is kind of like, it's used of, let's say, like a a China cup. We wouldn't say because that China cup is weak that therefore it is worse than just a big, sterly mug. It's just different. But the point here is what Peter is saying is that many men would be tempted towards aggression. That if they see something weak, I mean, here's, this is, men are just trained to do this from day one. If you see weakness, attack it. If you see weakness, exploit it. If you see weakness, take advantage of it. It doesn't matter if that's business or sports or academics or whatever it might be. If there's weakness, you exploit it, take advantage of it, use it for your personal gain. Now, many people think like that. I think that's part of our fallen hearts, but... That's a particular thing that men deal with, that they see weakness, they go, how can I defeat that? How can I beat that? How can I conquer that? How can I win that? That there's this, there's this um, mentality of, if there's weakness, I use my strength to win. And so many men are tempted towards aggression, to take advantage. And what that looks like is your words, your tone, your actions. Uh, It depends on what kind of man you are, of how this expresses itself. But if, if you get in an argument with your wife, or if you're dating or anything along those lines, or if you've experienced this, ladies, if you get in an argument and you know that your wife is kind of prone to shut down in the middle of that, your adrenaline kicks in, you like the heat of the argument, it make you feel like you're all of a sudden all cylinders are firing in an argument. You see, man, she's shutting down. It's my opportunity. You see weakness and you go after it. Or maybe it's just your physical presence. Maybe you lay a hand on her. Or maybe you don't, but there's just a or a or something. You just use your physical presence. To use your strength to get what you want, to put her in her place, to make your point sound better. Use aggression when you see weakness. Maybe you feel like you're a great arguer and you have a strong intellect. And so in the middle of an argument, maybe your wife, she needs kind of more time to think and likes to process her thoughts, but you take that as an advantage to go, ah, I can provide all my arguments. I can beat you right now. I can use my intellect to win. Maybe, maybe you see that your wife really, really wants your love and your favor and your approval, and so you use that weakness to be lazy. I can use her weakness. I'm not talking weakness in the sense of moral weakness. But I can use that emotional sensitivity in her to exploit it to just get what I want. She's concerned about you liking her and and appreciating her. So she wants to do nice things for you. And you just go, this is great. There's a weakness. I can exploit that. I can use that for my advantage. I can use it for my gain. Her weakness, I see as an opportunity for me to be built up. So some men are tempted towards a passivity, which is kind of just a do-nothing, just kind of coast, just kind of, I don't really care. Other men are tempted more towards an aggression, which can be, how can I get what I want out of her? How can I get what I want? What can I do to get her to please me? How, when I see this in her, how can I use that for my gain? And that, those might not be the thoughts going through your mind, but that's how it plays out. I mean, just what, when, you, when you see weakness in your wife, of a physical kind, of an emotional kind, what's your, what's your general disposition? Are you just annoyed? I mean, sometimes think about this. Maybe your wife comes home, and hard situation in her life, and you're kind of just like, get over it. That's really not a big deal. That's seeing weakness and going, I despise it. It bothers me. It annoys me. I don't like weakness. But Peter says something else. Peter says, action number two that he gives to us, is honor your wives. Honor them as the weaker vessel. Again, like, let's go back to the teacup thing. I mean, I I sometimes like to drink my tea out of a teacup because I feel just British or something. I don't know. It just kind of feels nice. Um, But, so this, uh, (laughs) you're like, what the? (laughs) Hey, I'm just being honest and vulnerable here, okay? Weakness is not bad. And so I, 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 had a, I had some tea out of my teacup today, a nice china teacup, and I was very careful with it. Normally, I'd use a big old mug, and that's what the coffee goes in, and sometimes tea if I'm going to drink a lot, but I was very careful. I honored it. I didn't go, oh, this teacup is weak, and threw it, you know, I mean, it was, I, I treated it as special, I treated it as sacred. See, that's what it means to honor. So Peter says honor your wives as the weaker vessel which means treat it treat her as very special treat her as sacred treat her as having immense value treat her as something and this is not saying you know this is where my teacup analogy breaks down it's not oh she's dainty and delicate be careful not to break her it's not that but it's that you treat her as special. You treat her as something that is unique. It's not just like every other thing in your life. Honor your wife. So what does that practically look like? How can we do that? How can we honor our wives? Our words? Our words? To her? Men, do you use your words to honor your wife? Do you use words to honor her, to say thanks, to appreciate, to compliment, to show her the good that you see of how God's working in her life? Do you honor her with your words to her directly, to other people? So often, I mean, it's and I said this last week to the ladies, but so often it's kind of this ah, oh, old the old lady, she's doing this again and blah blah, and same with same with gals. It can be, oh, yeah, my husband. Do, Do you honor your husband? Do you honor your wife with your words to other people? Or is it a mocking? And it's all just in good fun. I know, I know. It's all just in good fun. Are you honoring her with your words? And listen, these are all active things. These aren't passive things. What I mean by that is it doesn't say, it doesn't say, don't dishonor your wife. So that's not just an absence of negative talk. It's a presence of positive. Are you actively honoring your wife? Are you actively showing her with your words that she is special, that she is sacred, that she is unique, that she is valued? Do you write her notes? Do you write her poems? Do you write her songs? If you're skilled like that, or just maybe she would have grace for you. Um. Do you do that with other people? Do you, if you have kids, do you do that with your kids? Do you honor your wife to the kids? So, so many times, again, parents, both moms and dads, kind of to their children. Well, that's just your dad, blah blah. blah. That's just your mom. Blah, blah. Do you do you honor? them to your children, do you honor your wife to your children if you have them? So we honor with our words, we honor with our actions, which I mean, again, honor treating someone as special, as sacred, as unique. If we were to say, This is the guest of honor, or if we were to say, Tonight, if this was something else, let's say, and I was like, Tonight we're gonna honor this person. I mean that would you would think I was going to use my words, I'd probably give them a gift. I mean, do you honor with your actions, with your time? And does your wife get the best of your time? That's honor. Does she get the best of your money other than God? That's honor. Does she get the best of you? Does she get the best of your kind of just, what's the word I'm looking for? Your energy. Or is it you expend all your energy doing other things and then your wife gets the leftovers? Do you honor her with your actions? Do you honor her by treating her as this woman and not other women? Which means pornography, thoughts, flirtation, emotional connection. Do you honor your wife by saying, you're the one woman for me? Or are you honoring other women as well? Treating other women as special, treating other women as sacred. Or is it your wife to you that gets the honor? So with our words, with our actions, with our attitude, I mean, how we feel about her, I mean, what if you saw your wife's weakness and instead of looking at that as something to exploit or take advantage of, you said, I see that and I honor it. I see that you physically perhaps, are weaker than I am, and so I'll honor that. I see that maybe you have a a stronger emotional sensitivity than I do, and I honor that instead of being bothered by it. The weakness I see in you, I honor. I don't devalue it. I don't look at it as something to, to belittle you for. I look at it and go, I honor you in that. What would your marriage look like if you were to treat your wife with this kind of honor? what would it look like what do you think would happen in your wife what do you think would happen in her heart in her soul if that's if you really i mean if we were just guys if we were just going full bore at that going i'm going to honor her in every way possible what do you I mean think she would like that <laughs> i think she would i think you would very simple Live with your wife in an understanding way. Honor her. I mean, there, again, one verse that Peter gives, and yet, isn't this what, I mean, if you, if you just kind of, um, if you just listen, this is what women want. This is what they usually say. I want someone that understands me and someone that treats me as special. Those are usually the things that are just kind of said at just kind of a, a heart level. I want someone that treats me as special and that and that understands me. Guys' top two things would be a little bit different than that. But that's generally what women say they want. That and flowers. So there's three things. Peter missed the third one. But it's generally, I want someone that treats me as special and someone that really understands me. Guys, how's that going if you're married? what does it mean to take steps in this direction for you this week what does it mean what does it look like so here's here's what i want you to think about how's it going your husband how's this going right now and it doesn't necessarily matter how you think it's going how does she think it's going <laughs> Ask her this week, tonight, how does she think this is going? How does she think you're doing it, understanding her and living with her according to knowledge and honoring her? And let me add this, maybe she thinks it's going awesome, but maybe she's wrong. Because some women have never really been loved and never really had a husband that truly sought to understand them and so, I mean, if you don't know what a feast is, you think a, a McDonald's hamburger is great. So ask her, but ask God. Ask God to show you. Listen to her, but ask God. In light of his word, God, how am I doing? What's different about the man you want me to be and the man I am? ask yourself assess your own self. I mean, what's the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? So talk with your wife, yes, but also talk with God and and think about it. Let me give a few words to um just different people in here, not individually. <laughs> that would be funny. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> Raise your hand if you want an individual uh individual <laughs> word. Um let me speak to different groups of people. If you're a single guy, this doesn't start when you become a husband. It doesn't start on wedding day. It doesn't start on engagement day. It doesn't start on dating day. I mean, all of this, how, how is this going now? I mean, you can look at, how are my tendencies towards passivity now? How are my tendencies towards aggression and exploiting weakness now? How do I do it honoring my sisters in Christ? How do I do it? I mean, guys, if if right now you're not honoring women in general, you won't honor your wife. If you're looking at pornography now, if you're lusting after women now, that's not going to change just because you become a husband. So guys, how is this going for you if you're a single man now with passivity, with aggression with honoring, with, with gaining the ability to understand someone and hear them out and be affected by them and listen to them? How's that going just now? Single ladies, look for these kind of men. I know they're few and far between, but they're out there. And God willing in our church, men begin to really take this seriously. But look for these kind of men. Look for men that will treat you like this. Look for men that will treat you like this. Don't look for guys that are, that, l- that are trying to search out how they can use you and manipulate you and get what they want from you. Look for men that are saying, how can I honor you? That are really seeking to understand you, not for some other sort of gain, but because they really want to know you. Look for these kind of men and encourage the men you know towards this. Encourage the men you know towards this. Particularly the single men that you hang out with, encourage them. When you see them doing these kinds of things, encourage it as just a good friend. So single men, single ladies, wives, maybe this isn't happening. Maybe you go, yeah, I would love it if my husband would honor me and if he would live with me in an understanding way, according to knowledge, maybe it's not happening. I mean, Peter, in the text that we read before, was writing to wives that had husbands that weren't following Jesus at all. So, it's a very realistic possibility to have the men in your life that don't live like this. What do you do? Well, first... Let me just acknowledge to you that it's a problem. It's a problem. And let me acknowledge something on the extreme side that if your husband is physically harming you in any way, that's a huge problem. One that you should talk with me about or talk with the police about. But if you go, man, I don't think my husband's honoring me. As a pattern, all of us husbands fail at this. But as a pattern, I don't think my my husband's honoring me, and I don't think he's living with me according to knowledge. I want you to know it's a problem. Because sometimes women can develop a, well, it's just my fault, I guess. Or that's just how men are. But it's a problem, it's not okay. God doesn't think it's okay. And what can you do? You can pray. You can ask God to work in him, to change him. You can do what Peter says earlier, which is to win him over by your conduct, God willing. To to not say, well, if you don't treat me well, I don't treat you well, but to say, I'm going to live a life that is respecting you, that's loving you, even if that's not returned. You can pray. You can try to win him in your conduct. You can sit down and talk with him. And ultimately, What you need is Jesus, because your husband may never emotionally provide what he's supposed to, but Jesus does, and you need to have your heart being filled up by him, even if your husband lacks. If he is doing this, wives, thank him. Um, husbands that are doing this well, keep doing it. Peter says, live with your wives according to knowledge. And it's a present tense, continual thing. It's not, learn about your wife and then there you go. Um, women change. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know that. but They're not the same year to year or month to month. They change, just like all people do. That's not just a woman thing, <laughs> but they change. And so it's not, hey, you kind of do this once and then you're good to go. So men, don't rely on your past successes. Don't say, oh man, I, when I, we were dating, I totally did all these awesome things and it was so cool. Or don't say, man, even last year, we did this and that. And what Right now, today, are you doing this right now, today? Are you seeking to continually learn your wife because life is different for her? And men that are failing at this—that you—that you hear this and you go, not just yeah. I mean, again, all of us fail to this at some degree. But you hear this and you go, not even close. That's, I'm not. I'm not consistently. I'm not proactively trying to honor her. I'm not really seeking out how can I live with her according to knowledge. So I want to ask and I want to listen and I want to build some sort of plan and use an app. And I I really want to seek to live with her according to knowledge and honor her. And you go, that's not me at all. That's, I mean, once in a great, great while on my anniversary, if I remember it, that's me. So what do you do then? Well, first is this. Know that God has grace for you. It is never too late to say, I need grace, Jesus. Forgive me. When I hear what you say in your word, I fall so, so short of that. So know that. Know that there is grace. Second thing is this. Confess to your wife. Tell her that. Don't just try to change things. You need to start with saying, hey, we need to talk. You know that guy that was talking tonight? Yeah, I need to confess. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Start with confessing, and then do something about it. Start to ask questions. Buy the app. Do something. Begin to make changes. Then Peter gives us two reasons. And let me let me say this. I mean, I'm, you, you can tell right now that I mean I have kind of a somber tone. Um and not super energetic and super excited because here's I just think this is so important that there's a heaviness of it to me because I really believe that if if God changes this in men that i I, I, I mean I believe that history changes. I believe that if this changes if husbands take this seriously and go i am going to honor my wife and i am going to live with her according to knowledge and i'm i'm going to do that i i think that that just changes everything it changes everything it changes our witness as christians it changes the the health of your home and your children if you have i mean it glorifies god and shows his goodness so to me there's a heaviness to the topic because I, I know, it to me, so much hinges on it. It's, and, and I know that, guys, that in our hearts, there's so much resistance. I know it. I see it on your faces right now, and I just know it, and I know it. That there's such resistance in our hearts to this. You don't understand my situation. You don't, okay, whatever. I mean, whatever. I know it. There's so much resistance, and yet, and yet, if we actually hear God's word, and obey, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so, things change dramatically. Dramatically. Not just in your life, in your wife's life, in the wife of your children, in the wife's of your families that are around you, in the in the community, in the church, in the city. I mean, it changes things. So yeah, there's a there's a heaviness, there's a somberness that I have in talking about this tonight. Peter gives us two reasons. The first one is this, our prayers. He says that, do this, otherwise your prayers will be hindered. And here's what this means. If you're not honoring your wife, if you're not living with her according to knowledge, God is opposed to you. That's scary. And I don't mean he's going to send you to hell, if you're a Christian, you've been saved by him, and that's secure. But what I mean is that God is not actively in this moment seeking to just go, man, I'm going to answer your prayers. If you're mistreating his daughter, I mean, th- if someone was mistreating your daughter, and then they always called you on the phone asking for things, how would you respond? You'd probably say, this request will be hindered, sir. <laughs> Click. I don't know if you would speak in that language, but it would be cool if you did. You could borrow my teacup if you did. Your prayers will be hindered. I mean, that's, that's kind of ominous. Live with your wives in an understanding way and honor her. Otherwise, your prayers are going to be hindered. I mean, this is the reason Peter gives. I mean, it seems kind of an odd reason to me in a sense that I probably wouldn't have said it, but Peter knows something we don't know about how prayer works. He knows something about how God looks into our lives and chooses to honor those things that we bring to him or not. And what this is saying is that, man, our our relationship with our wives is deeply connected to our relationship with God. You don't get to say, life with God is great, and yeah, life with my wife, you know, it's okay not true. They're connected. They are connected. And you know what else I think this means? I, I think in large part, it's talking about that you will ask God for things and he will just not give them to you. He will not answer. He will be in opposition to you. The same way that it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a kind of proud man that won't do this. But I also think it means this, your prayers will be hindered in the sense that all form of prayer, so part of prayer is our requests from God, but another part of prayer is just our enjoyment and our communing with, our talking with, our our love of God. So, your relationship, maybe men right now, you go, you know what, I I don't have a great relationship with God, and... When I talk with him, it just kind of feels dry. And when I, maybe it's because you're mistreating your wife. And so the relationship with God is hindered also. So this is one reason he gives us. Second reason is this, that they are heirs of the grace of life. Both of these reasons that he gives are God issues. Notice that. That he says, let me give you two reasons why you should do this. They're both related to our relationship with God. And what he says here is that they are heirs of the grace of life with you. That's fundamentally stating that there's an equality. There's an absolute equality. He wants men in that culture, in that day, to know you're not better than your wife. They are heirs with you of God's grace, of the life that he brings, they are equally an heir with you. He wants men to to look at their wives and know she's a daughter of the king. Look at that. Do you know the kind of grace that she's received from Jesus? Do you know the kind of grace that he gave to her? Do you know the lengths that he went to to bring her into his family? Do you know how much he loves her? I want you to see that. And to see that she is absolute equal before God. Absolutely loved by God and has received grace from God. Especially then, but of course now, men can think, oh, I'm better than her and have some sort of machismo, chauvinistic crap. And he's saying, she's an heir with you of the grace of life. You're, you have nothing on her. You're not better in any way. God looks at her and loves her and, and has given her grace. Is that how you treat her? Do you treat her as somebody that God has poured his grace out on? I think it's also a reminder to look at ourselves. Because he says that the wife is an heir of the grace of life, but with us, she's an heir of the grace of life. So I think it's a reminder To remember who we are. Because in hearing this, I think what can happen, and we've been talking about this in our community groups, what can happen is when men hear a call like this, there can either be a resignation or a resolution, which means this. We can have a resignation that says, I just can't do that. That's just too hard. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna fail at it, so I'm not even gonna try. Or a resolution, which says, All right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get it done. Here we go. Time to honor. Time to live according to knowledge. I'm going to do it. And there's just this resolution of my own strength and my own power. And both of those avoid Jesus. Both of those say, it's about me. Instead of resignation, what what God would call us to is confession. Confession. Which is not to just look at some sort of standard and look at some sort of call to obedience and go, I can't do it. But to say, man, I've failed at this. And to be able to own it. To confess. And how come you can confess? Because you've received grace. See, Peter says you're an heir of the grace of life. Which means we can own how bad we are because Jesus already died for it. We can own how bad we are because God's already given us grace. We don't have to be afraid to fail because the cross has shown us we've already failed miserably and God forgives. But we don't also go then towards resolution, which is to say, I can do it on my own. We say, man, I have failed and Holy Spirit, I need you to change me and to work in me and to work through me and to empower me to do what it is that you call me to do. And the Holy Spirit does that by drawing our eyes and drawing our minds and drawing our hearts to Jesus. See, this reminder that we have the grace of life, if you look at the Bible from Adam to Judas, it's a story of broken men that bring death. From Adam to Judas, the Bible is a story of broken men that bring death. But then what happens is the true man comes, God and man, Jesus Christ, and he comes and does something different that no man before had done, that he lives up to everything that God would call us to. You know what Jesus did? He lived with us in an understanding way. That's what the Bible says. He entered into this world and took on human flesh. Why? To enter into our world to live with us according to our knowledge, to know us, to become human. And then he saw our weakness and what he'd do with it. Did he attack it? Did he see our weakness and exploit it? No. What the Bible says in Romans is that while we were ungodly, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. While we were weak, Paul says later that God chose the weak of the world to shame the strong, which means this, that Jesus comes into the world and says, I choose the weak. I look at the weak and don't despise them. I look at the weak and honor them. Man, this is what God has done to us. Everybody, this is what God has done for us. And see, man, if we want to change to love our wives or your future wives or your sisters in Christ, if we want to change, it's not going to come through just resolution, I'll get it done. It's going to come by having our minds and our hearts see that this is how Jesus has treated us. This is what he did to us. Jesus entered into our world and understands us. And Jesus looked at our, I mean, do you see yourself as weak? Jesus died for you in your weakness. He loved you in your weakness. He honored you in your weakness. Do you see yourself as misunderstood? Jesus entered into your world to identify with your experience. This is what he did for us. And as we see that that's the God that we know and love, that begins to change our hearts to then be able to live out of that to, if you're married, love your wives in that way. Jesus is not a man that brings death like all broken men before him and after him, but he's the one that brings life. And so with our wives and all of us are heirs of the grace of life. What do you think our church, your marriage, your family, this city would be like if this is a vision that we really caught on to? It would be amazing. You know, Paul says in Ephesians that marriage is supposed to be a picture of the gospel. That people are supposed to look at it and go, I can tell about Jesus' salvation by seeing this. This is how that happens.